Hello and welcome to the HOA Show, where we discuss the news, problems, trends, and critical issues relating to life in a homeowner association. Join us every episode, and together we'll explore how to survive and thrive in the dizzying world of HOAs. Hello, and welcome to the HOA Show. I'm your host, Ryan Gazelle, and in this episode, we'll be discussing community conflict, how to deal with unruly owners and or board members. I'm joined today by James Pereiro. James is an attorney at Myers, Witters, Gibson, Jones, and Feingold. His practice focuses on community associations, and he's been an active member and speaker for CAI for a long time, as well as our CLAC delegate. James, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Glad to be here, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So, James, living in a common interest development can be challenging, as we all know. You can have a perfectly functioning community full of wonderful owners who are courteous and kind and conscientious. Unfortunately, all it takes is one owner to ruin it for everyone. I'm sure you've had to help boards navigate dealing with unruly owners. So talk to us about some of the things you've seen and what advice you have on best practices and the most effective steps a board can take. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Anybody who's listening to this podcast probably has some direct experience with community associations, either from being on the board or working as a manager or uh, you've got some industry connection to it. And yeah, you can't really talk about HOAs for more than a couple minutes before people start sharing stories about character. That owner. Yeah, characters, right? People who, who, who make interesting choices. Yes. And um, make for great stories and maybe difficult lived experiences for those of us who uh, have to engage more directly with what to do about that. Yeah, so I, I kind of break down in different categories of folks and the kinds of things that I come across in this space. You've got uh, folks, the kinds of things that they do typically fall under the category of what you call a nuisance. Okay. So like what? Well, like people who are smoking cigarettes, that kind of thing. Smoking. They're really, they're really loud. They're like storing things in the carport. They're just, they're rude. Um, it, it's kind of the idea that somebody's like living their life in a way they don't care about how it impacts anybody around them. It's not like it's directed at anybody in particular. But they just live their life in a particular way that just disrupts everybody else's sense of what would be sort of a reasonable way to conduct themselves. And like pig pen. Definitely pig pen. Yeah. If you're living next to pig pen, it's in the nuisance category. The smell, the flies, right? If you're living next door to somebody who um, stores lots of material in their exclusive use area outside of their home, sometimes that can be, you know, that that sort of a thing. Yeah. Like a hoarder. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. That would bother me for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like people who like eat Cheetos and pizza in the hot tub. I lived in an HOA once and that's like, that just is super grosses me out. Oh, I, I just got the chills when you said that. I can't, I can't even. Like the little, the little like Cheeto dust flows oh. in the hot tub. Nobody likes oh, that. Oh, no, nobody well, needs that. <laughs> you know, then you get, you get the people that like, like to hang out in their, their back patio, right? And it can be as simple as somebody who wants to play cards and drink and smoke with their friends, which is like fine. But if you happen to live next door to that and your kids are like seven and nine years old, and there's a bunch of guys hanging out through that really thin fence and they're telling colorful stories and they're using colorful language and they're not really thinking about how that's impacting the people around them, right? That's where my my daughter learned the F word from a neighbor uh, when she was about four. Yeah. Yeah, right. Hey, daddy, what does this mean? <laughs> and you start hearing the music, you're like, what? <laughs> oh, she just used it in a sentence. And <laughs> uh, Yeah, just dropped it. It's like, it's just, you know, it's just normal speech, right? Dad? Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's kind of one species of misconduct. And, and all these can sort of 
they can occupy like one person. One person can characterize all these things. But another category that I'll that I see has to do with harassment, right? That's where somebody's actually sort of focused their misconduct on another person. So it's not just that they're acting in a way that's irritating or disruptive to people around them. It's that they identified a particular individual and they focused some, we'll just call it negative conduct on that one particular individual. It can be verbal conduct. It can be more like passive aggressive. Like it's like they're doing things specifically so that they will irritate that person. They've got an ax to grind with one particular person. And yeah, right. Would that typically be more of a neighbor to neighbor dispute? Yeah, that's typically where you'll find that is where people get sideways for whatever reason with a neighbor, somebody else in the community. It may not be their immediate neighbor, but it's neighbors in the community. And they don't like each other for whatever combination of reasons. And the the like classic perspective on that from a board's I guess, perspective is to say, all right, these two just don't get along. We're not getting involved. We don't know what their personal conflict is. We're going to let them sort it out unless it rises to a certain level, right? And one of the levels that boards have to watch out for and managers is whether or not there's the possibility that the conflict is animated by some sort of bias against a person based on a protected class. That's where we start talking about checking all the boxes that you'll find in the fair housing laws regarding immutable characteristics, race, origin, religion, gender, sexual identity, that kind of thing. And if either of the parties in that kind of a dispute can check one of those boxes, then that might be time for the board to have to pay some particular attention to make sure that the animus, that the, the dislike between those two isn't taking on the form of a harassment that expresses itself as kind of an animus toward people in that group. Because the problem becomes, you know, if that, if that person who's part of that group feels like they're getting picked on just because they're a part of that group, that you know they could end up talking illegal and there are definitely state and federal laws that say that as a that an association as a housing provider it has an obligation to the extent that it's able to protect its residents and owners from being subject to unlawful discrimination that's another sort of thorny area in this topic so are you saying though that the board only needs to take action if there are certain boxes that are checked well not only but that's definitely a time it would affirmatively need to do so Disputes and conflict between neighbors can take on all forms. It can just be basic dislike. It could rise to the level of a physical altercation, right? If that kind of thing is happening, right, where there's a physical safety kind of thing that's going on or other people feel physically unsafe because of what's going on, that's, I'll always tell them, you know, tell a board, or board member or manager, look, if you feel like physical safety is an issue, call the police. After they're there for get them involved. Let them take care of those kinds of things. And it just depends. Each one of these disputes tends to have its own sort of unique nuances and characteristics. And I'll always tell folks, look, Question, concern, talk illegal, right? Every situation is different. Every single set of circumstances might change. Yeah, for sure. And then the question, of course, is, you know, what happens when you come across this? Like, how do you deal with it, right? What do you do? And that's where you start moving into traditional rules, enforcement kinds of proceedings. Start walking that path in the direction that you need to until hopefully you get whomever it is who's misbehaving to start complying in a good way. Let's take the first example. If you've got, you know, the nuisance unruly owner, Obviously, there are some things that can be done for the board as far as enforcing the CCNRs, you know, quiet enjoyment or uh, nuisance provisions, something along those lines of somebody smoking. But what if uh, it doesn't lead to that extent? It's not something that is being done where they're violating the CCNRs. It's just a, a mean person. Is there anything the board can do? There's no, there's no law against being mean. Right. It's not illegal to be mean. This comes up in employment circumstances and certainly comes up in, in HOAs as well. It's like, hey, this person's being a real punk. This person's a jerk and they're mistreating me and I don't like it. The difficult truth is that that's not illegal. It's not illegal to be rude. It's not illegal to be mean. It's not illegal to be a punk. 
It is illegal if those behaviors take the form of harassment targeting a person based on their membership in a protected class. It is illegal if it rises to the level of interfering with someone's ability to have the quiet enjoyment of their residence. And so it's always a matter of degree. It's always a matter. There's always like a, a, a somewhat subjective element. And when a board, a manager, an attorney is looking at these situations, it's always a question, at least in my eyes, of does this behavior rise to the level where a disinterested third party is going to look at it and say, yeah, that's a nuisance. Does it rise to the level where if it got in front of a judge, a judge would say, yeah, this isn't okay, right? And that's always a question of person who's making that evaluation's perspective, experience, exposure to that kind of circumstance. Because when people are in those spaces, like when a person is being subject to it, when a board or a manager is getting a complaint from an owner about the person that lives next door, you're always going to hear, or you're often going to hear, what this person next door is doing is totally unreasonable. It's, it's outrageous, and it's absolutely got to stop. Right. Now, that may be true. But just because somebody's described it that way it doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. Right. So you need that disinterested third party, their opinion. And if it meets that level, then you've got to take action. Typically. And it's always going to be subject to, I mean, certainly when I'm advising a board in that space, I, to a certain extent, I'm always going to defer to the expertise of that board with respect to what they know about the dynamics of their community and what they know about the dynamics of a particular situation, right? But certainly as they're relaying to me the facts and I'm reviewing whatever information is available, sometimes it's complaints, sometimes it's email, sometimes it's video, sometimes it's audio, right? Then, you know, I'll certainly weigh in on it. But yeah. So let's say it does rise to the standard of uh, disinterested third party would feel that action needs to be taken. What action is available to the board to take? So the board can do, I mean, there's a standard pathway that, you know, I'll run an association through when it's dealing with an owner. And it's always a question of how much pressure you need to apply in order to get the person who's misbehaving to move in the direction of behavior that's acceptable. The goal is always compliance. Sometimes these things can take on a personal dynamic and it can be very frustrating to have to deal with this as a volunteer board member, as a manager. And so I'm always cautioning and trying to help folks in this space see that the goal is to get whomever it is to either stop doing what they're doing or just comport themselves in a manner that works for everybody. It's not about punishing them. It's not about trying to extract money from them. Although some of those tools may be necessary, certainly not a goal on its own terms, right? So it's things like, and it always, it, it can start with, has anybody had a conversation with this person to find out what's going on, right? Progresses to a formal letter, you know, progresses to a hearing, you know, where that person is invited to come and explain to the board what the board is hearing. Because the board is hearing a complaint about some misbehavior. And so the board's saying, look, we've heard that you've been doing X, Y, and Z. We need you to have, you know, you need to come in and tell us your side of the story because we have to decide whether or not we're going to take action about this. But tell us what's going on so we can make an informed decision. You need all the information, right? Exactly. And that's really just, just a fundamental due process, right? And then the board decides what to do based on, you know, the advice of management, counsel. Um, are they imposing fines? Are they issuing a further warning? Are they, you know, what, you know, what's the next step? And if the person's behavior is gnarly, and they've they've decided that they're not going to pay attention and listen to the board, right? The board has the option to then proceed to uh, alternative dispute resolution as a prelude to litigation. And I've been in situations where you've got either residents or owners who have committed themselves to a particular form of living that is so alienating to their neighbors and the community that there's been a well-informed decision that it's worth the time, effort, and money to try and convince this person through litigation 
that they're better off living somewhere else. And that's rare, but it does happen, right? And it's certainly, I see that more often, hopefully, than any of the listeners to this podcast would by virtue of where I intersect with these kinds of things. But that's that's definitely an option that's available. I hope you're right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I hope you yeah. see it more often than the rest of us. <laughs> and frankly, that could be an effective situation. I had a situation with a client not too long ago where they had a, an owner that owned a couple of units and they had an adult child who was residing in one of these units. So the owner lived in one unit, their adult child lived in the other unit with family, that, that adult child's family. And the person is just not the kind of person that you would want as a neighbor. And it's kind of driven people nuts for years and years and years. And this particular board had decided enough was enough. And they wanted to use the language in the CCNRs that required an owner to evict a tenant who was refusing to comply with the CCNRs, which is, there's legally some tricky things in that, but it's, it's a pathway that you can walk. And so we started moving down that pathway. We had the hearings. We noticed, you know, ADR, we had mediation. And in the process of preparing for mediation, which is, I may have indicated, that's prelude to filing a lawsuit. I had the manager dig into the files and we found notices of violation against this particular individual going back 30 years. 30 flipping years, right? That's a long time. And the upshot is because the board was all on the same page about what needed to happen, they were able to stick to their commitment to trying to convince this person to do something different. and. The result of that mediation was an agreement that the person was going to move off the premises permanently and never return to live there, which is a really big deal because that person had lived there for a very long time. But the board had decided it had gotten to the point where, I mean, there's other issues that it involved dogs, involved calls to law enforcement. It had gotten to a point where people felt like it was not acceptable. So I guess the moral of that story is document absolutely everything uh, so that you've got that ammunition when you need it later. 100%. And in some cases, filing police reports or whatever needs to be done so that you're prepared when it comes down to it and you're in front of that judge. Yeah, absolutely. And especially, and obviously each of these kinds of occurrences, events, problem owners, so to speak, the facts and circumstances are different and what you perceive as a person who's trying to deal with it. It's going to vary like how far you think you're going to have to go down the path. Sometimes it's enough to call the person to a board meeting, you know, but when it's not, and when it's it's one of these more intractable things where people are really like, this just is absolutely not working. This person is committed to doing something that's just going to be contrary to what everybody else wants forever. We've got to find a way to separate ourselves from this person or separate this person from us. Absolutely critical to have documents, photos, videos, audio, people identified who are willing to talk about what they've seen, heard, you know, uh, listened to, and so on. Now, James, sometimes these unruly owners manage to get themselves elected to the board of directors, whether they've got uh, an agenda that caused them to run for the board in the first place, or they just like to cause trouble and think that they're right about everything. It could be any number of things, but it can be it can make things extremely challenging for the other board members who are trying to run the community. What are some of the things you've seen in in that space uh, and, and how can a board successfully move forward and deal with that kind of an unruly board member. Yeah, that's really that gets really thorny, right? Whenever I talk to a board member who's got a concern about a particular issue and a way the community needs to go, and there's conflict over the issue, like there's a lot of energy in the community around the issue. There's not consensus, there's back and forth. I'm always like, okay, well, does the board agree with you on this? 
what, let's count the votes. <laughs> let's do a vote count, right? Is it two to three, four to one? Who's which? Which side of that equation do you want? Because you know, if the board member I'm talking to, who may be the president or whomever it is, is like, well, nobody else agrees with me. I'm like, well, I, I hate to break it to you, but <laughs> you know, until you get enough people on that team to see things your way, your options are really limited, right? And this is not the hill to die on. Yeah. Well, yeah. Your work is to persuade, right? You've got to persuade people to vote because obviously the corporation can't do anything unless you've got a quorum of the directors who have met, gathered, and there's a majority of that quorum who's decided to do something. And when in that space, right, you're dealing with people who are problematic or challenging and, and, the, and the people that you're trying to persuade to do a certain thing are not they don't fall under what you qualify as reasonable people you know so for example like i had a situation once where there's a board that had a special assessment they needed they needed there's some component of the common area that needed a ton of work and they just didn't have the cash not uncommon right and they're like good grief we've inherited the situation from prior boards that apparently weren't paying attention all of a sudden it's become known to us that we've got to make this major repair it's going to cost a ton of money so they went ahead and they got financing all lined up. The last thing they needed to do was to approve the prior year's financials. There was a particular board member who found this approach objectionable. And without getting into the merits, they decided, I can impede this entire program by simply voting against the approval of last year's financials. I'm sorry, are we talking about a homeowners association or Congress right now? Yeah, exactly. Right. It's exactly. And so he essentially, and I believe there was like, it was the kind of thing where one or two people couldn't make the meeting, you know, so the, the number of directors of the meeting was smaller than it would otherwise have been. And then it's a perfunctory act that's just a pro forma kind of like, yeah, last year's financials, no problem. But a sufficient number of directors saw that if we don't approve this, what will happen is this loan will blow up and this project will be kaput. And that's what they did. And the association lost the financing, right? So then it's a question of going to get new financing, which at that time meant a higher interest rate, which meant having to deal with obtaining further owner input, which, and you're right, it was, it was, it was almost like a sort of a congressional machination. Filibuster, uh, right. Yeah, how to throw a wrench in the machinery. So there's that level. There's the level of like somebody who's like talks down to people, interrupts people. There's the folks that will collaborate with their constituents to be disruptive at board meetings, right? There's the people that will harass association employees or managers. Yeah, and it's thorny. And the question is, hey, can we get rid of this person, right? I got, this person's gotta go, we gotta kick them off. And my typical response is, I got, I got uh, good news and bad news. The good news is, hopefully, it's a democratic institution, this association that you're part of, and so, you know, members decide who runs the show. So that's good news generally, but in this specific instance, obviously there were sufficient members that divide, decided to elect this person and put them on the board. And so to get this person off, you're going to have to convince, well, not you, but I mean, there's going to have to be enough owners that want this change to institute and effectuate a recall, which is a pain, right? It's a ton of work. And expensive. Yeah. And rancorous. And it just, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like a special election situation. And so is discord. It, it just divides the community, all those things. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, all, I'm always asking when these things come up, when is your next election? When is your next election? Is it three months away? Okay. That's like, you can make it right. Just hang in there until that next election. And hopefully enough owners see the problem as you see it. And that will result in a change in leadership. And you all will be able to operate the association effectively. Now, there is an exception to the owners got to remove a board member rule. And corporations code 7221, 
talks about when a nonprofit mutual benefit corporation by action of the board can remove one of the directors. And one of the provisions in that section of the corporation's code indicates that if there are on the books existing qualifications and rules governing how a board member needs to comport themselves, they're on the books when that board member is elected. And presumably they also indicate some sort of sanction for failure to comply, like you can be removed from the board. Somebody gets on the board with at least constructive knowledge of those rules, meaning the law assumes they actually know what's there. They may not have read them, but because they're rules in the association, they're obligated to follow them whether they know them or not. They get on the board, they violate one of these, one of these rules, then the board can determine that that's occurred and actually vote to remove the person if everybody who votes in favor of it meets all the qualifications for being a director. Interesting. Yeah, so there's a loophole that can be used under certain circumstances to, to take care of problematic directors, but it requires forethought. It requires qualifications that are either, either in your bylaws or that have been adopted by rule that specify what a director needs to do to properly discharge their obligations to the community and what they may not do. So that when those things occur, there's actually some leverage that other board members may be able to exercise to, to resolve or address that situation. That sounds like a, a fantastic tool that seems pretty easy for a board to institute. I'm sure uh, most attorneys that specialize in HOAs would have some sort of a, a template or a draft or something that they could easily pass along, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. And I mean, the key is that you have a board member code of conduct or a policy that identifies here's what you can do and not do. And here's what's going to happen if you violate this. Right. And some procedural items there that would explain how this is going to roll out. It can be tricky because oftentimes people present questions to me and they say, OK, you're the lawyer. What do we do? I'm like, well, I can tell you what the law is, but it sounds like you've got a political problem. You've got a personality problem. So obviously these things dovetail the political, the legal. But, you know, if that's something that you know, any of the listeners to the show are thinking like, hey, that could be a way forward. Talk to your lawyer about it. Uh, you know, see, see if that works in your given circumstance. Yeah, in terms of adopting those kind of policies, you know, sometimes management has that kind of policy. Sometimes counsel, you ask counsel. CAI, you just Google CAI, code of conduct, board of directors, or, you know, something, some combination of those words, and you'll get a draft policy that CAI makes available just online, right? So those things are readily accessible. And if you adopt that or the board votes and approves that as a, a rule, then that's all you need to do. Correct. Right? You don't need membership approval, a membership vote. Yeah, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a membership vote kind of a thing. Um, obviously, if, if you're going to put it in the bylaws, it is. If you're going to put it in the CCNRs, it is. But if you're adopting that as a rule, then that's, you know, it's obviously got to be consistent with your existing governing documents as a rule in terms of the hierarchy of documents. You got to make sure that's not conflicting with your CCNRs, your bylaws. Yeah. And again, obviously, if that's the space you're in, you're like, hey, this could be a way forward for us. Talk to counsel. And I'll tell you, one of the difficulties is if you're already in that space and you don't have something like this on the books, it might be difficult to accomplish because this is much easier to put in place when everybody's on the same page and everybody agrees. And it's a great thing to have in the background so that if somebody ever gets elected in the future that is oriented in this direction, you've got a way to deal with that. But once they're already in the room, it can be especially tricky. Right. But then once they're already on the board, you, they're kind of grandfathered into whatever rules existed at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. They're, they're only going to be obligated to comply with the items that were in force at the time they, they took office. I had not heard that before. That's interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. 
Do you have some best practices or a summary, a guideline uh, for boards going forward? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that boards can do. I mean, obviously getting good information, getting good input on what your rights, duties, obligations, responsibilities are, how to deal with these kind of challenges. All it takes is somebody being committed to doing a little homework, 15 minutes a week, you know, go online, Google some of these things. There's articles online. There's all kinds of free resources available. This podcast, right? CAI, other industry related groups, you know, do a lot of education on these types of things. As a practical matter, when you're, when you're dealing with conflict in the association, it's so helpful to have a team of folks that are on the same page. And, and team building is under, I think it's sort of under discussed and undervalued often for community associations. There's no sort of better thing in this than like knowing your neighbors. Being able to say hi to your neighbors, having good relationships with those people. You mean team building for the board specifically or the community? Yeah, and it's it start. Yeah, team building for the board, absolutely. Um, but I think it starts at the neighbor level because really long term, what you're looking at is like, how do we build a board that has the people on it that are going to help us accomplish running this community the way we want to? And this is a challenge, right? There's a lot of good people in every community that want nothing to do with being on the board of directors for reasons that we can all appreciate. And anybody who's been on a board of directors can appreciate, right? But if you as the board of directors can develop trust, good relationships with those people, it, it helps with recruiting, right? It helps. You've got a friendship with somebody who can say, hey, look, this is really important. I'll help walk you through it. This would be really great if you, right? That's a great step towards building that kind of a board. And then obviously, once you have those people in the room, whoever they may be or whoever you find yourself in the room with, doing the work of building relationships with your other board members just pays big dividends. It can be as simple as sticking around after a meeting and having a conversation and getting to know the names of their kids, you know, maybe it's inviting somebody out for coffee or lunch, right? Just interacting outside the space of business goes a long way. Absolutely. So uh, other thoughts in terms of decisions you're making as an organization, as a board, right? Communicating what you're doing and why can also really help. A lot of times people in community associations that aren't engaged at the leadership level, right? These are the folks that that's where they live. They, they come home at the end of a long day. They turn on sports center or jury duty or whatever it is you're watching, right? They crash. They get up. They go to work. They're just like, this is where I live. I just, whatever. When difficult things occur in a community, it can be really helpful to have good channels of communication. So, you know, think well about how you're communicating to your community, what you're doing and why. Of course, you have to post agendas. Of course, people have access to minutes. It can be really valuable to have other ways to communicate to your members as well, whether that's through old school newsletters, you stuff in mailboxes, a website. Uh, these kinds of things can help build a sense in the community that the people who are running it are doing so transparently. Obviously, the Open Meeting Act is going to be a way to help people see what's going on in the community. But you know, on the practitioner side, we understand that people still don't pay attention. People still don't come to meetings. People still don't, right? So um, being proactive in terms of explaining to the community why things are being done a certain way, I think really, really helps. Making sure you've got a good management team, I would imagine, is a is absolutely a great tool. They've dealt with a lot of these things before. Yeah, same same thing, same advice, you know, that I, that I give about neighbors, that I give about board members, I give about your team of, you know, for lack of a better term, um, service providers, like your non-resident, non-owner team members, right? Your manager, your lawyer, your landscape person, your security person, your insurance person, right? Having good relationships with these people pays huge dividends. And a great space to build those relationships is in some of the community association organizations I referenced. 
Um, obviously, you know, you know, we're involved in CAI, there's others, but that's a great space where you can get to know as a manager or a board member, all kinds of people that work in this industry and have all kinds of information that you might not know how to Google, right? And valuable experience, right? Yeah, you can run into Ryan at the Community Association Fair. You can run into James and be like, hey, this thing happened the other day. Can you give me your two cents, right? And we will, <laughs> you know? So, and that's like, and you may or may not, we may or may not be like uh, a regular part of that person's association team, but it's like a check on and getting perspective on, which is, a, I think, a really important role that those kinds of organizations can play just informally and people should take advantage of it. You reminded me that CAI has, you know, educational programs for board members where they will teach your board of directors about reserve studies, about insurance, about the law, about how to govern and run that community association. And the more well-informed the board members are, the more educated they are, the more likely they are to understand what's necessary and what steps need to be taken. And I think the less likely you would have an owner uh, who who would maybe go against the rest of the board of directors. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. And that I think that's free. I'm not mistaken, or if it's not free, it's it's very inexpensive. Uh, I think all the chapters do that once or twice a year. So do check out CAI for that option. Anything else you'd like to add, James? I think that it's a pretty good basic overview of unruly owners and board members. Absolutely, it's something nobody wants to deal with, but but we have to deal with them. A hundred percent, yeah. And there's obviously there's a hundred stories, a hundred different ways these things can manifest themselves. And social media certainly hasn't made it easier. No, no, it's made it harder for sure. <laughs> yeah. But as I'll always say, yeah, you, 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 you hit one of these uh, challenging situations. That's where you call your team members, right? Call your attorney, call your manager. Consult the experts. Consult the experts, get their perspective, get their two cents, right? You know, and the different people will have different takes on the same situation. There will be nuances in the situation it would mean, you know, oh, you know, that thing I heard James say on the podcast, I should do this other thing because my lawyer says there's this other thing, right? So just that's why you always want to make sure you get your own advice on this stuff. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us and, and volunteering your time here today, James. If our listeners do have questions for you or they'd like to learn more about your firm, where, where can they go? Yeah, uh, they can uh, certainly just Google me. I'll come up uh, on the internet. Uh, they can go to mwgjlaw.com, find my firm's website there. And we'll have a link to your website, your bio on our uh, webpage. Sure. Yeah, that's another easy way to contact me. As we end the episode, we'd like to remind our listeners that if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for topics you'd like to learn more about, you can email us at feedback at hoashow.org. Join us next time on The HOA Show. To share or subscribe to The HOA Show, visit us at hoashow.org. There, you'll be able to listen to other episodes, find helpful resources relating to HOAs, provide feedback, submit questions, and check out other great stuff. The HOA Show podcast has been made possible by the contributions of Klein Agency insurance brokers, leaders in the community association industry. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast, its presenters and guests do not constitute legal advice. For more information on how the topics and discussion apply to you, please consult with your own legal counsel.